Today's episode of the Big Law Business Podcast is brought to you by Epic. DTI and Epic Systems are now Epic, delivering new levels of scale, efficiency, and reach to legal markets and matters around the corner and around the world. Just in time. Epic is a global leader in the legal services industry. Epic takes on large-scale, increasingly complex tasks for corporate counsel, law firms, and business professionals with efficiency, clarity, and confidence. Epic's subject matter experts and technologies create efficiency through expertise and deliver confidence to high-performing clients around the world. Learn more at epicglobal.com. That's E-P-I-Q global.com. Dot com. This episode is also brought to you by Bloomberg Law, an all-in-one platform that provides fast access to the information law firms and legal departments need. To request a trial, go to bna.com slash Bloomberg Law. Coming up, we're going to talk to Jad Abumrad about his Supreme Court podcast, More Perfect. Welcome to Big Law Business. I'm Josh Block. On today's podcast, Jad Abumrad. Jad is the host and producer of More Perfect, a podcast about the Supreme Court and constitutional law. He is a veteran radio journalist, the creator of a show called Radio Lab. He won a MacArthur Genius Grant in 2011, and he launched More Perfect in 2016 as a spinoff of Radio Lab. Each More Perfect episode is like an audio documentary about a case from con law and that description doesn't really do justice to the show. What I've told my friends who went to law school about the show is something more like this. Remember that Commerce Clause con law case, that one about the guy who grew more wheat than he was allowed? Okay, that case is actually much more interesting than what we learned in law school. And this podcast has the full story. I have really enjoyed More Perfect. They just completed their second season. And I wanted to talk to Jad about it. I recorded this interview with him at WNYC on February 15th. And I began by asking him how he started producing episodes of Radiolab about Supreme Court cases. Uh, this is back in 2012, if I'm remembering correctly. I was feeling really restless. I wanted, I mean, Radio Lab had traditionally been the show that we did a lot of sort of deeply investigated things that were often about science and, you know, sort of the intersection of science and culture and like these big, complex stories. And I, I was just in a rut at that point. Um, we, I felt like we were doing the same story a lot. Um, and um, I was just like, we just have to like, we just have to get out of our zone and try something that, that would that would be hard and uncomfortable. And for, I don't know where the idea came from, but I I, I think maybe the, the, I, w I was reading the paper and I saw that the Supreme Court had sort of released their docket for that year. And I was like, oh, wow, it's like 12 cases that they were saying they're going to cover. Wouldn't it be interesting if we did a story about one of these cases? I mean, it's right there. It's like they tell you what the case is going to be, so it's almost like they give you a head start. So um, I basically I gathered up the crew, and I was like, "Let here's the assignment. Everybody pick one of these, make three phone calls, and then let's come back together and tell me what you found. Nobody found anything. But one guy, Tim Howard, who now runs a show called Reply All, he had made some calls uh, on this case called Adoptive Couple v. Baby Girl, and... Um, it was just one of those weird 
beautiful things that I now know happens at the Supreme Court all the time, which is that like you have a case, like a tiny little case, like two teeny little humans living their lives and then they encounter some conflict and then suddenly that conflict gets generalized into this massive cosmic argument about the entire country. And here you had a, a, a seemingly ordinary custody battle to a couple had, had adopted a girl who was two years old, but then the biological dad had swept in, swooped in late in the process and said, no, no, she's mine. And they got into a custody battle. I was like, okay, that's a tragic story, but kind of not that interesting at the end of the day. But then somehow that gets attached to like massive questions of Native American sovereignty, you know? And it was amazing to me. I was like, wow, how does one get, how do you get from one to the other? And it's kind of everything you want in the story. You want like a small little human thing, but then that to mean everything, you know? And it was just like this epiphany moment. We did the story and I kept thinking about back to that, like, wow, like I wonder if there are more of these cases that have that same quality where it's like very small and surprising and human, but also epic at the same time. Um, And so we did, I think two or three more stories Ad hoc, we did one about um, another case uh, about treaties. It was sort of a, a, again, it was like a very kind of like, like almost like a salacious and pulpy uh, family drama that turns into a massive referendum on treaties. Uh, We ended up reporting an hour about um, the legal foundation for the war on terror, which wasn't a Supreme Court thing, but it was sort of kind of the same vibe. We just kept trying it over and over again. And then to make a long story short, uh, at a certain point, we just decided, well, we, we keep, we're doing this a lot. Let's just actually make it its own thing. And I think at this point, like This American Life, it's spun off serial. And so we're like, oh, there is this, we could do like that, but with the Supreme Court. So yeah, that's how it happened. I mean, it was just like, it was organically, it was something we were doing. It, I, I loved the process of it. And, uh, and we decided to make it, make it uh, do it for real, basically. With adoptive couple versus baby girl, you've, you found a case that had this compelling story. With this new season, the stories are about gender equality, about guns in America, about police violence against black men, about discrimination on the basis of ethnicity or religion or race, uh, about gerrymandering. Did these stories for this season begin with a case and then looking for a story of the case? Or were you looking at some timely societal issues and then finding the cases that helped you explain how we got there? Uh, both, really. I mean, I would say it's 50-50. Uh, like, uh, in general, I find that like, ha- like half the time you find some small story that you then follow and then it leads you to some big idea about America. Other times, like the idea precedes the story. Um, and then, you know, what's, what, the, great, the great thing just in terms of like story finding about the Supreme Court is like the cases are there. The cases have wound their way up through the court system for years. And so like they're already kind of packaged for you in some way. Uh, you, you know that there's a story there. You know the argument that everyone's going to fight about. And then the question is like, what, what, what's new that we can bring? Like, what's our angle? What's, what's the thing that we can say about it that, the, that a, a tried and true Supreme Court reporter wouldn't think to say? So it's a slightly different story problem in a way. Um, but you know, half, you know, half the time, just like dispositionally, I, I tend to like, like 
the stories first than the ideas. But, um, you know, I'd say it's half and half. Um, but the challenge here is that because the cases exist, it's like, what could we do that's new and interesting? Like, I don't actually, at the end of the day, care that much about the Supreme Court, you know? Like, And so, like, I don't feel like I have to do Supreme Court reporting in the way other people do. Like, I just, I just kind of want something that's interesting to anyone who gives a shit about America. Like, you know, like for me, that's, that's where I'm coming from. And so the, at the end of the day, it's like, how can we, how can we be useful and insightful and interesting and, and seduce people to listen who don't care about the court? You uh, audibly grimace at, at things like strict scrutiny, right? So like- yeah. It's, I mean, you know, I don't want to be, yeah, exactly. Like I, uh, there's a, there's a, it's a hugely important thing, you know, strict scrutiny versus, um, intermediate scrutiny is arguably like, it's on the exam. It's on the exam. It's on the exam. Or, uh, you know? listening. Yeah. But it's also like, I mean, it's like in terms of how this country treats race and gender, like it's hugely important, like those fussy words, but, um, you have to find ways to sort of translate and seduce people who don't care about the court. Cause I mean, I don't care about the court. My family doesn't, my friends don't care about the court, but we're all like citizens and we're all deeply passionate about being citizens. And I want to talk to that part of our souls, not the part that like actually cares about scrutiny. A completed episode of more perfect has the elements. Well, the elements that you'd find in a radio lab episode, there's an interview. There tends to be an interview with the producer. There tends to be interviews with, with experts, um, often legal scholars, an interview with the plaintiff or the defendant or someone who represents their point of view, narration by you, narration mm-hmm. by a producer and sort of the hallmark of, of radio lab, the, the sound design and the music. And probably most importantly, the audio from Supreme Court oral arguments. Can you talk about the things, these elements that go into a more perfect episode? For me, I think of the elements not so much as like ingredients, but as like feelings that I want to have, that I want the listener to have, that I want to have when I listen to it. I mean, I want I want there to be this feeling uh, at, at some point where you're telling like a really touching, surprising human story. Like I want that feeling where I'm not actually being asked to think hard about uh, constitutional law, but I'm just getting somebody's experience. So I want the personal moments to be really personal and interior. I want to know what people are thinking, what they're feeling as they're experiencing things. At the same time, when you go into the court and which it always, it it always involves that, like uh, that beginning, like the chief justice saying, uh, what's the first thing the chief justice says when he, uh, at, at every OYA, it's a, uh, it's on the dot. Uh, the- yeah, it is. Uh, today we had uh, so right. the case numbers. Uh, 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 thank you, Chief Justice. May it please the court. Like this is this yeah. whole like sort of like script they they go through. So it's like the moment that that happens, I'm suddenly in a different mode where I'm like, I want to understand the tectonic plates that are slamming together underneath the American argument. You know, so it's like, okay, these, these lawyers are like debating these things like scrutiny and, and jurisdictional issues and things that I don't care about, but actually those are, those sort of fussiness that's sitting on top a layer that's of deep division and, and, and argument. And I want to understand that argument and I want to understand it in ways that I can like viscerally feel it. So like, I want someone to sort of have this moment where they're thinking about the argument and then they feel it in their body, you know, like, oh, right. And then I also want to have this moment where like we, we, we parachute into the past and this argument that's happening right now gets connected back to 1783 or whatever it is. So I want to have that moment. That's an ingredient where suddenly the past mates, it becomes present. Um, 
I want to have moments where uh, I'm being asked to think about how I live, you know, how like I live as an American, like where it's about me and my personal life. And I want I want the ethics of my personal existence, you know, like I want to have that moment. So I think of it as those moments, like what impacts do I want to have? Um, not so much like w- whether it's me narrating or a producer narrating or whether it's got sound design or not. You know, I, I think of it like that. Yeah. Talk about the oral arguments because they seem to be fundamental to this and, yeah. and having that. Yeah. Well, it was one of the real gifts of, of this series is that we, um, you know, like Oye, which is this f- free law project from Cornell, I think. Yeah, I mean, I say it every show, so I should I should know this. <laughs> a free law project from the Cornell something something. They have been recording oral arguments every single one since 1950 something, um, six maybe, and which encompasses like hugely important cases. You know, I mean, cases like Roe v. Wade is in there. Um, I think Brown v. Board is in, is even one of the Brown v. Board's cases in there. Like all of these massively important cases are, it's amazing. Like you hear the lawyers arguing and then very often you hear the decision being read. Uh, or sometimes there's a dissent being read if that, if there is a, you know, and it's amazing like, uh, to listen to these things, to sit there and listen all the way through, which God, we've listened to hundreds of hours of these by now. Like you, it's a, it's its own kind of theater, you know, like you hear the lawyers make the arguments, you hear the judges pushing back at a certain point you, you're like, Oh wait, the sorry, justices rather the justices. Oh wait, they're not actually arguing with the lawyers. They're sort of ob- obliquely arguing with each other. Like you can hear them throwing out ideas to sort of like buttress one of the other justices' argument. So you hear a kind of politicking that's happening horizontally, you know. And it's like you hear these things which are incredibly ornate and baroque, and they're talking about precedent and these kinds of things and then if you care about that inevitably you start to go backwards and like look that stuff up and then that leads you way back in time um it's just really cool to listen to these things and it felt like a really exciting challenge like can i take this stuff which is so dry sometimes and make it come alive like make it dance in a way uh and so it's one of the fundamental challenges of every more perfect is that you you're telling the story you do a little bit of the history and then there's that moment where Mr. Chief Justice, may please the court. You're in the court, and then it's like, can I make that make sense? Can I make it come alive? Can I make it feel exciting and visceral? But also, like, honor the complexity of the arguments, you know? They're really complicated arguments, and I don't want to dumb it down. So can I do all of that? You give it context, you stop it, and then you can comment on it. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I think is, especially for someone who has legal training, if you just listen to oral arguments, they can be boring. Sometimes they're really interesting, but you, you have to know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in a more perfect episode, you can stop, pause. This yeah. is what's going on. Totally. Yeah. And it's like we have, uh, you know, I mean, they're very hard. Those passages in the stories are very hard. Uh, inevitably, like I, it, that's like me at 2 a.m., like just hitting my forehead, like, ah, because what ends up happening is that you tell a story and you kind of script your way through it and you cut all the tape and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. And then we have a series of legal um, scholars who sort of inform us and I'll, we'll send it to them and they're like, dude, this is so wrong. Like you just, you got it wrong. And so like you have to continually like balance the artistry of what you're trying to accomplish against the actual legal facts and the arguments and choosing your words super carefully. 
um, it, that it becomes real, really difficult, especially for a non-lawyer. In law school, we learn the facts of the case. We learn the rule that came out of the case. We learn how to apply that rule, but we rarely learn the full backstory of a case. So what, what I find compelling about More Perfect and what I tell my lawyer friends about More Perfect is something like this. Remember that case from con law where women could buy 3.2 beer, but men couldn't. There's so much more to that case. You're going you're gonna to like this podcast. You know, you're yeah. going to hear the rest of this. You know, So for you, for More Perfect, you need that, or this would never be interesting to more than just law nerds and then you add these these elements sound design music and humor you use lots of humor um side note the the moments in citizens united episode where you use music and sound design are, are hilarious oh really it's funny i'm glad you say that because we get a lot of pushback on that people, <laughs> people thought it was like too over much the top? Okay. yeah people thought it was over the top it's still funny even yeah. if it's <laughs> anyway. uh so what i'm getting at in a, in a roundabout way is an idea and i heard you balk at this in your google talk it seems to me that you are trying to both entertain and educate and that that's actually core to the podcast mm-hmm. um, Tell me why I'm wrong or admit that I'm right. Sure. I mean, it's the only way, the only reason I bristle at that is because, I mean, yeah, you're like, you're always trying to entertain. You're trying to seduce people. You know, I, um, I'm not giving a law lecture, which happens in a, in a, in a room where everybody's trapped there. Like they ha- they can't leave, you know? I'm talking to people who have a thousand other things they can think about, and at any moment they can hit stop and they can walk away. I mean, all of us in podcasting are kind of doing that, right? So I am very, very conscious that like, I need to, to draw you into this, and each second needs to pull you into the dream. And if I ever, if the dream breaks at any moment, I've lost. So for me, yeah, I mean, like the word entertain feels somehow like it can connote, like it cheapens the material. I actually want the material to feel more magical and more dreamlike and more n- amazing. And uh, so for me, it's not so much entertain, but it's just make it feel wondrous, you know, which is in the, in the van kind of overlaps a lot with entertaining. I know you want to hold people there. But so, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with the way you put it, but I would just maybe use different words. Okay. Okay. Reviews of More Perfect have been have been very positive. The New Yorker wrote that the podcast is often subtly astonishing. However, the libertarian publication Reason was less enthusiastic. Did you did you read their review? I think I might have seen that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So so they recommend listening. So there's uh-huh. that. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> hate, hate listening. I don't know. It's anyway. <laughs> but they they cautioned that they felt that More Perfect is colored by what they called a, a quiet but obvious progressive political agenda. What are your thoughts on that criticism? I'm quietly and not so obviously a progressive, you know? So, I mean, if that comes through, that's probably fair. It's a fair criticism. And there, you know, there, to, to be fair to, uh, there have been times where, uh, where I, uh, I listen back and I think we could have done, we could have done better to check our own biases and, it, you know, I never feel like we're forcing an agenda, but I also, uh, but I do feel like the agenda comes through in the in the words you choose to use and the in the choices you make, and you know, and we're always trying to be smarter and more aware at our own at our own biases. So you know, I take I take the criticism and I and I and I and I hear that criticism. At the same time, you know, like we work our asses off to be fair. You know, like at every, and no, you know, if we talk about police brutality, which we've done God, numerous times, 
which just by choosing to talk about that, you could be accused of being a progressive or being a liberal um, by choosing to sort of go into those stories. Um, we try our asses off. To, I mean, we, 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 being fair is way more important to me than having some advancing some kind of liberal agenda. At the same time, I am who I am, and I'm not going to sort of like, I feel like at this, in this day and age, it's important to be like, yeah, I'm a fucking liberal. Like, that's just who I am. I'm a progressive. But as part of that, I'm going to try really hard to be fair. And I hate knee-jerk liberalism. I hate it more than I hate Donald Trump, right? And so that to me is more of an enemy than Donald Trump. It's just this idea of like unreflective assumptions about the world. And so as much as we can check our own assumptions, that that to me, um, that to me is like the key. Have you heard from any of the justices or prominent lawyers or politicians that you mentioned but don't interview? I'll tell you, there was one moment where, uh, so Justice Sotomayor uh, walked through WNYC at one point and we, uh, we were given a heads up and we went and we shook, shook her hand and said, and we said, we work on More Perfect. And she goes, oh, More Perfect. I heard about that. Fucking made my life. It was like, it, so she someone had told it, her about More Perfect. I've one of her clerics of maybe, yeah. uh, and, uh, and that was amazing. I mean, we've asked, we've asked the court, God, every, we've asked them 150 times to interview justices and they, they always say no. Um, but she had heard of it. What, what would you do? How would you treat a, an, an interview with a justice? Would it be part of a larger story? Would it be a Q? I mean, you, you don't really do the Q and A's, but you do a version of that. You did it with Ed Bloom. You did mm-hmm. it with, um, mm-hmm. with the, the scholar on, on uh, gerrymandering. Um, mm-hmm. So how would you treat a Q and A with a justice? I think I would probably, you know, I, I, um, I'm a little old fashioned. Like there's a sort of this NPR idea that when you talk to the president, you, sh- you should never edit the president. You know, you should, um, even just to sort of tighten sentences or take out the ums, you should never do that. I don't go all the way there, but I'm a little old fashioned and I, I don't, I wouldn't want to make a sort of fancy, uh, dude it up podcast where Sotomayor and I are talking and then there's sound effects. Like I wouldn't want that. I would probably just want to hear her talk and I'd probably edit it as little as possible. But I think what I would do is talk to her, um, about the case, about the jurisprudence, but also about the fact that, you know, she famously has quietly or not so quietly argued that experience matters. You know, whether or not you know somebody who's been uh, subjected to the criminal justice system, that's important, not just the legal precedent, but like the life experience. And I would talk to her about that. I would talk to her about the ways in which she's been heavily criticized. And so I'd get into the sort of not just the law of being a justice, but the culture and the politics and the life experience of it. At the beginning of the episode on the use of excessive force by police and the reasonableness standard, you, you mentioned that that producer had worked on this episode for two years. So given that you're willing to put that much time into an episode, how quickly can you produce a season of More Perfect? And when will we see a season three? Um, you know, it's uh, each of these episodes, like that one was a long one um, and they don't all take that long, but at least a year. And it's not, it's not solid work. I mean, you're working on many at once and you're moving them forward in a kind of irregular way. But, you know, they, they, you can't shortcut this stuff. I mean, often just getting someone to talk to you takes them months of tracking and calling and begging and whatever it is. And that particular episode that, that Matt worked on that you referenced, I mean, that was a case where he, he had found the Graham v. Connor story. He'd gotten a few interviews 
it sort of stalled out and it was sat on the shelf for a while. We pulled it back out. So, um, often that you hit these like speed bumps that sort of like the wheels fall off for a while and then you bring it back to life. So yeah, I mean, they take a, they take forever and you know, we can make five or six or seven in a year. I would say if we're really like, because they feel like movies to me, they feel like, like, like indie, indie movies. There's no, you wouldn't expect a director to make that many in a year. And they're not quite as like, obviously production intensive, but they're not far, yeah. you know? So I don't know. I mean, and, and in terms of the, your last question, when, when do we expect season three? So season three, we actually are going to release it in a couple of months. Um, oh, because wow. it's actually, it's super different. It's a, it's a complete like left turn from anything we've done. And I'm not going to say more, <laughs> Okay. but it's, uh, we're doing a real experiment for season three, uh, which isn't going to sound anything like season one and two. Can you tell me how many episodes? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> do you see doing more perfect for a long time? Do you see many seasons? of? I'm not sure. Okay. You know, I'm not sure. Um, I, it, it was never intended to be like a many, many seasoned kind of thing. And it feels important to do now, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I come from this history. I mean, I've been making radio lab for 16 years at this point. And it's just, it just chugs along. And every two weeks, we've got to feed the beast. I don't necessarily need another one of those. Um, but I'll keep doing it as long as it feels super important to do. It's super fun, you know? I just feel like it's way, a way better American after working on this podcast, you know? I'm like, okay, I actually understand this country a little bit more. Thank you to Jad for being our guest. Thank you to Camille Ortiz at WNYC for arranging the interview. For more news and information about the legal industry and the business of law, check out biglawbusiness.com. If you'd like to contact us, our email address is biglawbusiness at bna.com. Follow Big Law Business on Twitter at biglawbiz. Follow me on Twitter at joshblocknyc. Follow Jad on Twitter at jadabumrod. We've been doing podcasts a little less frequently, but we will be back soon enough. So subscribe on iTunes so that you don't miss it. Thanks again to our sponsor, Epic. DTI and Epic Systems are now Epic, delivering new levels of scale, efficiency, and reach to legal markets and matters around the corner and around the globe, just in time. Epic is a global leader in the legal services industry. Epic takes on large-scale, increasingly complex tasks for corporate counsel, law firms, and business professionals with efficiency, clarity, and confidence. Epic subject matter experts and technologies create efficiency through expertise and deliver confidence to high-performing clients around the world. Learn more at epicglobal.com. That's E-P-I-Q global. Thanks again to Bloomberg Law, an all-in-one platform that provides fast access to the information law firms and legal departments need. Go request a trial of Bloomberg Law right now. Go to bna.com slash Bloomberg Law.